Judah Street Clinic in the Outer Sunset neighborhood of San Francisco. I'm Schmitty, and this is Talkin' Schmidt. Today on the show is Julieta Corella, 
Born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, she grew up hanging with skaters, listening to punk rock music, and dreaming of the day she'd open a coffee shop in California near the ocean. Many stops along the way, in and out of being a mess, she found her happy spot in China Beach, San Francisco. Swimming in the cold water instantly became her medicine. She battled with schizophrenia and started the toast craze that took over most coffee shops, which got her featured on NPR's This American Life. She says you can dream all you want, but it's not real until you have a name. Well, I mean, I was going to open up a coffee shop no matter what. I named it. The day I named it, trouble. I knew it was going to be real. That's what I always tell people who want advice. So I'm thinking about, I was like, do you have a name? Well, not yet. And I was like, then it's not real. You have to name it. I just want you all to be safe out there. Scary times lately. Apparently extremely important to wash your hands regularly and try to avoid touching your face. With that being said, don't be afraid to buy some Talkin' Schmidt merch on TalkinSchmidt.com to help support our podcast. And now, let me hand the mic over to today's guest. Hey, this is Julietta, and we're listening to Talkin' Schmidt. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cars turn, isn't it? All big dogs in. Schmitty! 96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty? Talking Schmidt. That's called going to the hospital, bitch. I'd be shitting my pants. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. I don't give a fuck about your fucking multi-million dollar numbers. Who is this guy? thinks he's tough shit. What's up? I'm here for Greg Smith. We are out in the sunset. I just drove out here and the uh, highway was closed, so I took the back roads and wound up at Trouble Coffee to meet today's guest. And we are privileged to have Julieta. How are you? Thank you, thank you. I'm great. Another long day at Trouble. A bunch of my employees hurt skating. Oh, wow. (laughs) We should start hiring uh, swimmers instead Uh of skaters, so I'm picking up all their shifts. Do you have a a book of excuses? Usually they walk in bloody, half broken hands and they're like, I got it. And I'm like, please go, go home. Oh, wow. Go home. One of our our guys, he's a ripper. We have a great crew of rippers right now. There's a rebirth of skaters right now in the sunset, including my kids. And uh, he went to the uh, um, Treasure Island. Yesterday? Yeah. Oh, nice. And he's fucked up. Oh, really? Yeah. It was a good turnout? It was a good turnout. Yeah, bad shit. Uh, Tony and Trixie and them played. and Someone caught on fire. Three-year anniversary. Probably lots of <laughs> No, fires. seriously, someone caught on fire. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. My employee, Abe, just showed me the video. <laughs> I didn't even know about that. Yeah, they put the, um, the curb right in front of bad shit uh-huh. on fire, and he fell into it, wasted. And he didn't know he was on fire. I just watched the whole thing. It was long. Whoa. And then they finally got him to roll roll on the ground and put all their coats over it. I guess that's something to check out when uh, we stop talking. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll have to look that up. Can, we usually start from the beginning and kind of work our way to the present. So sure. you grew up and were, were you born and raised in Cleveland? Or born no? and raised in Cleveland. A suburb like right on the other side of the tracks called Parma, which nobody likes to admit where they're from. Uh-huh. Uh, it's kind of... <laughs> it's kind of like when you say I'm from Cleveland and people say what neighborhood and you pause yeah. and people go, oh, are you from Parma? So it's it's pretty much, it was grown up like skater heaven. 
and like mall rats and skate parks and then the mall got shut down due to too many murders and is it comparable to like bayview or no no it's i mean this is gonna sound bad but it's like a white trash spot okay a little bit different like nobody's family is really totally watching them Uh uh-huh you know, so it just got a little bit, not many opportunities. Right. That's kind of what happened. So, and then right over, like a bus right away over the little tracks is Deep Cleveland, where we had, you know, um, underground shows and warehouses and skate parks and just up all night. And it was a great place to grow up, but I definitely, 18 years old, got the heck out and went to Chicago. Uh huh. You got into punk rock and stuff in Cleveland, though? In Cleveland. Like, what Super were Super the- young. What were like the early bands that like you kind of were like vibing on? Well, we got into, we had a hardcore like thrash scene. So there were bands like H100s, Nine Shocks Terror, um, super hardcore bands. And then there was like a punk crew that everybody wanted to go to like the poppier stuff, like Swinging Utters was a big thing. That was like our favorites. Uh Uh, And there were different clubs dedicated to different things. So there would be some on the West side that were mainly like, punk rock shows um i spent a lot of time my my love of cleveland was my time with Dwayne peters and the u.s bombs did a lot of shows and underground shows of punk at um Berea Rolling Bowl which was a skate park there it's a lot of underground shows and clubs and Cleveland's always been a place that like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that bands don't skip right so was Dwayne living there for a little bit I don't think so but they were touring like crazy huh they were touring like crazy and um my mom gave me a fake ID when I was like 17 because all shows were 21 and over. Uh-huh. And so we just kind of grew up seeing everybody. And my sister was a lot older than me and her friends were older than her. Okay. So around fourth grade, they started making me mixtapes. Oh. And then I started collecting tapes and records and had 1,100 pieces of vinyl by the time I opened up Trouble. Oh, wow. And sold them to keep it open. I just went to Amoeba yesterday because I'm moving into a new place and I had to, it took me a while to do it, but I was like, well, I don't even have a CD player anymore. So I just took all my CDs there and I was like, they still take CDs. Yeah, but they don't give you very much and it hurts your soul like crazy because you're like, this is my whole life. And the guy's like, 
this is one of the best music collections we've ever <laughs> i'll give you 40 cents a cd and you're like dude fuck like i seriously put well, in who like the at hell's least buying cds people with their cars yeah. with cd players that's kind of what everyone mine was... has one i got the bronco so that's what everyone told me they're like get rid of them now because they're only gonna get less worth you know so but you kept your scratch free pretty much I mean, there, it was funny because some of them didn't have CDs in them. He's like, this one doesn't have a CD in it. So it was funny. I was like, I'm not trying to get over, but like, I just didn't want to like look through these. I just, it was hard. Like it was hard. So did you just let go of stuff or did you go shopping for some vinyl? I. Oh yeah. You're moving into a new spot. Can't bring everything. Well, I, it was hard. I was like, maybe I'll come back and buy one record, like a, a real fancy pants record that I wouldn't normally buy to treat myself but like at that moment i just had to get in and get out and be like i gotta go this is i don't know it was, was really, it a wide variety of stuff it was my whole life it was from the beatles to the fucking stalag 13 to the white stripes to like everything it was just like everything i've ever been influenced by it was the last like i got rid of a lot of shit and then this was the stuff like can't get rid of this can't get rid of this and then at the very end okay so it was the best stuff i had pretty much but it was an interesting experience getting rid of my records was you got rid of all of them well i had to keep trouble open oh ebay just started uh-huh and started getting rid of them i held on to the ones from that like made me me all my seven inches I held on to from yeah. all the shows because I started booking bands when I was 18. Uh-huh. And I took a, like took over a couple cities. I've lived in eight cities doing shows. Rad. So that was hard because now I'll go to like Stranded Records, which is an epic record store, and I'll see my old records, and they're like a hundred and some dollars. Fuck. But I sold them for that back in 2007 uh-huh. on eBay, and it kept it open Cool. for a while, and then I sold my dog. Whoa. And then I sold um, my truck. Damn. <laughs> By any means necessary. <laughs> By any means. Oh, man. We have a mutual friend in Cleveland, Christian Svitak. Did you guys go to school together? No. He went to a public school. He's a little bit older than me. Oh. We met at his friend, his girlfriend at the time. She had a ramp. So uh. we'd all hang out in the yard. Okay. We always had like, um, there was also a place with this guy named John Bomba who had Bomba cues and like skate jams. Bomba cues. And so yeah, that was the best. <laughs> best. And he was actually, you know, he was always sober. So he was always the right person that my mom's like, okay, you could stay out as long as you want. Oh, okay. You know, good we found, influence. yeah, it was a good influence and he was a fucking hard, hard worker, great skater and tons of fun and just a dear good friend that I've never lost touch with. I never will. Those are the best. I have a few of those. And it was great because he skated downtown all the time in the flats and you'd get to go to new spots that you've never been to when you're roaming around with him and the crew. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. Is there anything you miss about Cleveland? Oh, God. <laughs> um, my family is there. Oh. Uh, so my mom moved back to Cleveland and my dad's there. I miss the old warehouses. And like, you know, you go there coming from San Francisco and you're like, oh, my God, I could buy this like today you know, and like live in these great places. The seasons were great. And seeing just people so motivated to make music, because I don't want to say it's the land of despair, I'm going to hurt so many people in Cleveland. Uh. But I do miss the community of that there. But I'm not I haven't been there in since I'm 40. I haven't been there since I was like 18. I come back and visit. Oh, okay. 
you know? I was giving Christian shit. I was like, do you call it the land? Or is that like a hipster thing to call it the land? What the hell's the land? It's like they call Oakland the town and San Francisco the city. I guess Cleveland is the land. Oh, they're just taking it. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, you know, what's funny about Cleveland is my mom and everybody will always say, you know, it's up and coming. People are coming. We redid the, we redid downtown and we redid this. And I was like, no, no, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's It's good for Cleveland people to redo it and clean it up. Harsh. But like, I don't think anybody's rolling over from SF and being like Cleveland. That's our spot. Yeah. It's, it's harsh winter, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of drinking there. Uh, you know, you, you rage okay. a lot all winter. Did you get your first tattoos while you were in Cleveland? I did. I got um, almost everybody got in like our little hardcore scene got tattooed by a guy named Stephen Kasner. Uh. Um, I wish I knew where he was today. And he mostly did... Um, H.R. Giger tattoos on everybody. And so I got some of his pieces. I think I was 16 years old and did my full back. That was like one of the first things you did? I did. I got that tattoo on my back. And then I tattooed my wrist black and it says revolt. So that was pretty intense. Whoa. How was like the reaction from family and stuff? Well, I didn't show my back forever and then I moved off, you know, but my mom and dad, my mom's super supportive of me. But as I started continuing, I mean, I'm pretty tattooed. Mm -hmm. You can pretty much tell who I am from anywhere. Um, (laughs) But my dad just stopped talking about it. Oh, really? He just came to visit. (laughs) I just finished up my face and the rest of my head and he didn't say anything. And I think it's because I'm a mom now. Okay. And I've made it in San Francisco. I don't have to look a specific way to get a job. Right. I'll always survive with what I'm doing. So that's pretty great. My mom will text Jesse Tuesday and Hannah Wednesday at the tattoo shop. Like, will you stop tattooing her? <laughs> this has gone too far. No way. And I'm like, Jesus, mom. And they start feeling, you know, guilty. And they're like, don't tell your mom I finished your <laughs> face. So I went to, I started going to Temple and getting tattooed by Dustin. Oh, cool. And uh, my mom can't get in contact with him. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, Our whole family's tattooed, all my siblings. Not like this, Uh but we all started because my sisters and I were considered the Corelli sisters, the three sisters. We were all into punk, Mm. all into the same shows. And we all just got, you know, tattooed. So my family was pretty, they just, that's the road we were going. Would you say it's addicting? It's addicting. I mean, I don't know if it if it's addicting to everyone the way it's addicting to me, but I like the fact that you're you have pain that you're going to get over, uh-huh. that you have to breathe through, right. and then it's with you forever. Yeah. I mean, I got so tattooed for really specific reasons. I didn't want to get tattooed just to be tatted, even though when I was a little kid, I always knew I was going to open up a coffee shop, wanted to be a punk rocker and be tattooed and live in California. Wow. I didn't know it was cold. (laughs) I I fucking didn't know until I moved here. Especially out here it is. Yeah, I was like, what? Because I wanted to be an ocean girl. And then I was like, oh my God. Yeah, because I see like a lot of people go from zero to a hundred. Like it's like no tattoos to sleeved. It seems rare that people get one or two tattoos. Yeah. Like once they get one, they're like, I want another one. I want another one. Mine is 24 years of tattoos now. Oh, wow. So, 
you know, I kept, I don't have much space left. So now I'm beginning to like collage over them. Uh huh. And it kind of tells your story like, oh, this one was in the 90s when I was doing this. And that's why this is. There's a lot of a story, a lot of stories to my tattoos. And then there is a story that was written by a swimmer that's um, from Russia. And he wrote a little published short story about my life, like making it. This is years ago. So I tattooed four, three paragraphs or four paragraphs on my thigh. Oh, about like how I didn't have a place at all. How China Beach saved my life. And how about opening up trouble? I had nothing to lose. Uh-huh. I had nothing. They would always tell me that. Like, well, you got nothing, but you're rich with friends. Right. So, and I tattooed that on me, which is kind of funny because I'll go to Banya, the Russian spa uh-huh. in Bayview, you know, where it's like super social and Russian men. And they'll just like get right in my crotch and like read it. And one guy's like, that's a typo. Spelled that wrong. I was no. like, because it's in Cyrillic. Oh my. And I'm like, thanks. Thanks, but it's cool. It has my name twice uh-huh. in Cyrillic, and you know how it looks so cool. Yeah. But anyway, so there's some spelling errors. <laughs> what was the guy's name that wrote the? His name was Vladimir. Okay, and he wrote a thing about your story. Mm-hmm. He basically? wrote a short story. He used to um, teach a writing class right. in Russian in the city. Okay. Played accordion all the time at China Beach. Him and his brother swam all the time. They just stopped swimming a few years ago. There's a new crew of swimmers at China Beach, which are a lot younger. Uh-huh. The old guys, I've watched them like, you know, grow, get old, be my mentors, pass away. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I have that forever on me now. Yeah. In between San Francisco and Cleveland, you hit a bunch of places, yeah? I hit a bunch of places. What, what was, what was, you went to Chicago? I went to Chicago to be in a theater school. I got into this, um, I got a great opportunity to go to this really small private school. And I wanted to go there because of the music scene in Chicago. They have Touch and Go Records and uh, Steve Albini and Shellac. And then they also had Second City, uh-huh. which was all the comedy. And that's yeah. what I was going to school for, like writing and then I kind of fell, I fell apart there. I didn't do well. Like all of a sudden I was like, I had the dorms, but I was sleeping on the streets and I didn't know I was slowly like kind of losing my mind. And so my sister called me, the one that's really close to my age, Maria. And she was like, I want to get out of Cleveland. I can't take it anymore. It's depressing. And I was like, I got to get out of Chicago. And I blame that city for the way I was. Oh. And then I moved to South Carolina. Whoa. Columbia, South Carolina. Big change. <laughs> Big change. Warm, uh-huh. palm trees, huge skate scene. Uh-huh. And then I got to kind of be a big fish in a small pond with music. Because oh. I couldn't get in in Chicago. Right. What am I going to do? I'm 17, 18 years old. And I'm like, hey, can can I be in on the scene? Yeah. <laughs> they were like, yeah, nice try. Yeah. So I got there and we started booking shows and found like a a place out in the country, like a little building, a little shack with like a kitchen and did all these hardcore shows and thrash right. shows. And What city was that? Columbia. It's the capital. Oh, okay. It's rad. Uh-huh. Because it's all cobblestone roads and tons of hills and three rivers go through it. So there's a bunch of river rats and pro kayakers and it was a good place to go. Okay. Then I got the hell out of there and I moved to Athens, Georgia because of the music scene and a record store. I started off at a record store in South Carolina called Papa Jazz, and I got into the Free Jazz Society, and that's when I got into what I thought was the most obscure stuff known to man, and I kind of let go of, I still was into thrash and stuff, but I found something that just blew my mind. Right. And so I got into that, and then I had a connection to go to Athens, Georgia. And Athens is epic, right? It's a good uh, music town. Athens is rad. It got kind of too small for me. 
Mm. I mean, it's a tiny town. Yeah. And I always had this dream to go to New York. So one day I just picked up and moved to Williamsburg in, I would say it was like 2001 or something or two. I'm not very linear. Before there was like Greenpoint and all these new. I lived in Greenpoint. Yeah. There'd be like old Polish men just like on the street and you'd be walking home and they'd be like grabbing your legs and being like. Uh. And I'd be like, oh God, I just went back uh-huh. and uh, it's completely changed. Yeah. Like no one's really there anymore, but they've all branched out and going to, you know, different places and making yeah. great little scenes. But I went there and worked at a coffee shop and just kind of scored instant friends. But I fell on the streets there too. Oh. So I blamed that city and I kind of wanted to go back to my sister because she kind of protected me and took care of me in the South. And I was like, screw this. It's Brooklyn's fault and Manhattan's fault. And then I decided to land. I just drove across country to and landed SF. here. Oh. I stopped in New Mexico, thought I would stay. And then just my dream as a kid, and I still kept all my journals. I was like, I'm going to make it to how, the Bay Area. How was that? Like, how did you have gas money and stuff? Like, I actually, it was kind of cool. The coffee shop that I worked at, he kind of kept some of my money. So I wouldn't spend it all. Because oh. I was definitely like using drugs and being like, Spending all my money, out for you a little bit. looking out for me, and I had a um, a chunk of money. Sold some bikes, rented a car, Rad. and came with one kid who wanted to come out to California, and I uh, brought my dog. I had a big old bloodhound uh. from Georgia, which was stupid to bring him to Brooklyn, and just landed here. And I landed this Craigslist apartment, so random. Um, where it was like 150 or 200 bucks a month in Berkeley. Damn. On by the Ashby Bart, if I helped a guy who had a stroke who was there going to Bikram Yoga, and not many, I guess I was there, and we would. I've never been to Bikram Yoga, and it was like so hot in Berkeley. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, this is the worst. And um, I scored a place there, but I was always going to San Francisco. Okay. I was like always on the BART riding my bike and then I decided to move to the mission. That was 2003 or four. 2003 or four. And was that the time that you kind of discovered China Beach? Yeah, I discovered China Beach when I lived in Berkeley. I got off at the 24th Street BART. I wasn't doing well again. I was in a bit, I have uh, schizoaffective disorder. So I kind of lose, um, I wasn't medicated I didn't know what was going on with me. So I was in a, what they call, I guess, what I didn't know was a psychotic episode. So I got off at the 24th Street BART. I love 24th Street. And I just started walking to the ocean. And I walked all the way, found the Land's End Trail through the sunset, took the Land's End Trail to China Beach and saw the old men all jumping in the sea in their Speedos. And they were so strong. Uh And I was like, I want to do that. And right when I jumped in the water, because they were super supportive, I just had like my underwear on, you know, uh-huh. and I jumped in and I was perfectly clear minded when I got out. I was like cured. Oh, from just the temperature, the, maybe? Mm-hmm. The cold. Because uh, it was winter. It was February. So I, I, I've dealt with anxiety a bunch. And uh, a lot of people say that if you go out into the ocean where it's cold, and you learn how to regulate your breath in that kind of temperature, it'll help you in regular life, like to be able to just calm yourself down, kind of breathing through it or something. But it's fucking It works. Brutal. I mean, when you go in there, you don't, you can't even imagine getting your breath. 
Yeah. Like you're, you've lost your breath, you uh. know? And then you train yourself because the cold water works. Anxiety, depression, schizophrenia. Mm. The people who swim there need it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's not like the swimmers maybe at um, the bay, you know, the aquatic clubs. It's their exercise. They do long swims. They do the... Um, go to Alcatraz, do right. all these swims. They train. Wonderful people. They have a sauna. We have nothing at China <laughs> Beach. <laughs> nothing. The people at China Beach, you could tell, need it. Oh, okay. And you swim out to Eagles or Deads, the surf points, depending on the currents, how long you're going to be out there, depending on the temperature. And it's um, it's life-changing. And one of the things is, when I was younger, the, the older man, he was German, Glenn, who pretty much raised me there, he always said, see you tomorrow. And it was a constant for me. And it was back then when China Beach had showers, warm showers and lockers. Uh And so I had kind of a place to put my stuff because I was in and out of couches and like couldn't figure it out in San Francisco. I mean, people liked me and I liked everybody, but I wasn't like stable enough Uh to be a roommate. And so I had a place. And so you were doing it daily. I was riding my bike out there. I worked at Farley's in Petroa Hill when Roger owned it. His son now owns it. So I was up there. You, you're That's from my old hood, yeah. So I was up there for years. I lived on and off in the mission, but pretty much lived at China Beach. Oh. And I would leave Farley's and go straight to China Beach every day. Or if I closed at Farley's every morning, I would go to China Beach. And it was every single day. Up until maybe two years ago. Wow. And you're not doing it anymore? No, I do it. I just don't go every day. Okay. Um, because I got back into cycling again. And um, I just don't go. I don't always go every day, but sometimes you'll find me there every single day. For Is a month. it one of those things that's kind of hard to do if you don't do it regularly? Like you've got to build so. up a tolerance to it and like be kind of callous. You have to be committed. Yeah. You know, a lot of the dudes who are there are still there every single day. Oh, wow. The ones that are... And do you need to like be aware of the conditions before like, okay, this is the time slot I have. Have you ever gotten into trouble out yes. there? Like carried out times. where you thought yeah. you're really, I've been definitely scared. It was actually like right after I was on the, um, on a podcast and right the day after I went out in the water and the waves were too big and everybody said, no way, no way. But I was like, I always go out. (laughs) And I did not do well. I remember waking up on the beach, just like puke. Somebody rescued me. A fisherman, I think. I don't remember everything because I was so hypothermic and I was just throwing up all over the beach. Whoa. A couple times, you know, you'll get stuck in a current and something that takes you 15 minutes to get there, you're there in three minutes. And then you got to come all the way back. And I don't wear a wetsuit. And you can't, you're like, you just have to put your head down and go. Sometimes I didn't know that you're supposed to go closer to shore or further away to have like an easier access. I wasn't quite educated in that yet. Uh Um, I've had leg cramps and like stuck out there. Oh. Yeah. Have you ever had to be like helped out? I have had to be helped out with some friends a bunch of times, like trying to get back too sure like when the waves are super huge you can time them uh-huh. to get under them just like surfers do yeah we don't have the um we don't have like something that's going to suck us out and get us out there it's just like it doesn't really have any rip currents the surfers will use the rip currents to kind of pull themselves out Whoa. into the surf but um you'll have huge waves and like you'll just dive through them and it takes you a while to get out but coming back yeah pounded and i've definitely gotten because i'm the one of the smallest swimmers 
people are pretty, you know. Yeah. You know, they're cold water swimmers. Yeah. They're like seals. You yeah. Know? They're they going got like a little. Yeah. And I'm like falling down everywhere and trying to get my fins off. So when I didn't know when you're supposed to take off your fins, when you're supposed to run in, I'm also really short. So uh-huh. the waves go up to me higher. I've been annihilated a few times. It's been a bunch of people. A lot of people break their shoulders. Oh, shit. Yeah. Trying to get in your shoulder. There were these dudes. I wasn't there, but just last week, I think. Dead Man's is far away. It's a far swim. I would say it's like sometimes 30 minutes to get out and 20 minutes. It's like a 45, 50 minute swim in cold water. You don't go there in the winter unless you're wearing a wetsuit. And I don't wear wetsuits. These guys went out there. It took them eight minutes to get there. And they couldn't get back. And I guess the swimmers on the deck were like, where are these guys? And they were stuck in a whirlpool eddy that was pulling them out. And they had to call the fire department and the Coast Guard. And they, they had... They couldn't save them, so they had to climb the Land's End cliff. Oh, man. And then they were fucked with hypothermia. Oh, They were out there forever. I don't know who they are. They may be new swimmers. I don't know if they'll ever come back. But eight minutes out there when it's supposed to be like 30 minutes. Oh, man. Like, they should have noticed earlier and turned around. Yeah. Like, I turn around a lot if it's sucking me out to sea. You have to have respect for the ocean. It's fucking gnarly. I mean, I've never done what you're talking about. I've gone out on surfboards and and been scared. And I'm on something that I'm floating on, like, above Mm -hmm. the water. So I can't even imagine. All the times that I've scared myself, I've never had fins on. Mm. So I started wearing fins. And I kind of, like, you're so powerful with those dolphins Uh that are, like, for body surfers they're big uh-huh they're kind of heavy but they'll you can push through just about anything okay huh. as long as you don't panic right that's the key huh it's like when you get pushed underwater um surfing they always tell you don't panic you're gonna make it to the top but like you're under there freaking out yeah or like when they're being ripped you know all the way down to quintara you just have to be calm because one of the rip currents will bring you in right you will make it to shore unless you panic I mean, a lot of people freaking drown at Ocean Beach. Yeah. And my boy's surfing now. Oh, really? Yeah. He's not even 11 yet. Damn. And he'll go out there. And the other day, he surfs with his dad a lot or friends, people at, you know, um, Nick, everybody at on Judah, you mm-hmm. know, taking the little Grom out or people at Aqua. And he wanted to go out this day. And I was like, I am not strong enough. And he was like, I got it. I got it. I got it. And randomly, and I was, he was getting mad at me. You know, because I wouldn't let him out. I said, we can boogie board, whatever. And he didn't want to boogie. You know, he wanted to go out. Yeah. And uh, he's got his long white curls hair and like, you know, camo wetsuit. He was ready to go out. Right. And it randomly, their dad texted me about what's going on in the ocean. And I just like turned it. And his dad was like, you can't go out. And he was like, okay. But I was like, oh my God, am I going to lose my 10 and a half year old? Like people were coming in. They weren't going out. (laughs) They were coming back. Oh, man. Yeah, that's sketchy. Well, it's sketchy to think of your kid going out there, but it's also the best thing in the world to have with a kid that doesn't care about video games or anything because he's always outside. And then I have two kids that do everything outside, so they're it's like so easy to raise them in San Francisco. People talk about how expensive it is to have kids. Uh-huh. Piece of cake for me. Right. And their dad. Yeah. We're like, let's go out. They like to ride. They like to skate. We have Playland. Yeah, it's We cool. have the beach. We have China Beach. They go out there and body surf and swim. And so life's pretty affordable for me with my kids. And you got a good community out here. Like I go to Nick for the chiropractor and I'll just notice like 
everybody knows them. They're com- they're cruising through the street and everyone I kind of let them, them run and- feral. Yeah. <laughs> But but it's because there's so many people that see them and, and identify them and know who they are, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky because, you know, a lot of the other parents, you know, everybody raises kids differently. But um, every once in a while, I'll get a call from like a different parent that knows. I mean, hey, just so you know, your kid's like alone on Judah. And I'm like, yeah, right on. <laughs> I was like, good luck out there. Like, I, I hope he's OK. Just tell- They just go into Nick's office. My daughter and my son spend a lot of time in the new bookstore. Okay. That's next door to trouble. It's called Blackbird. Uh-huh. And they hang out there. One time I went home with just my son and we like got ready for bed and did everything. It was like the easiest night of my life. And, I- and then he was like, are you going to pick up Agnes? I was like, oh, that's why it's easy. I only have one kid. Whoa. So I'm like back at the bookstore. And she was like, where were you? They wake up and they just kind of hit the neighborhood, uh-huh. you know, and enjoy it and go to Playland. My boy's mostly um, surfing now, you know, kind of put down the skateboard for a little bit. Uh-huh. They'll like cut off 45th Avenue here when they do skate with kids and tell the cars to go around. It's like the 80s, you know, where you're like, go around. And people will be like, wow, I'm, I'm literally going into a driveway and turning around. Yeah. Because cool. these kids aren't going to get out of the way. And they're twins, right? Yep. Okay. Boy-girl twins. Very, and- very unexpected. So unexpected and then twins. I was terrified. I can imagine. Because I really didn't have a stable place yet. Trouble uh-huh. was maybe two and a half years old no when i was pregnant it was only two years old yeah we just started making like a hundred bucks a day oh wow i mean i didn't have any money for these kids i mean i was going to be 29 or 30 when they were born so i was like okay let's go for this i never wanted kids Uh ever and i'm really happy i have them because you can kind of relive your childhood in really great ways they're both great i I've and you can't miss them they have white hair like yeah. toe heads roaming around. I walk around, I'm like, okay, they're right there. And they can't be in the same class because they're siblings. Is that right? They'll do each other's homework. And I think that's why they do it. Or huh. I don't know. You can supposedly ask for them to be in the same class. Oh. But I have boy, girl, they have different worlds. They're with yeah. each other on playground and lunch. Interesting. They're fine with it. I mean, they hang out so much together. They're really close. Yeah. I mean, they fight, but. Your daughter is going to be a teacher because every time she's in there, she's trying to teach. Like, this is what, like, she seems so <laughs> smart and like, this is what's going on. This is what you need to know. You're not going to get a Tesla. Why would you get a Tesla? Oh my God. Did she really say that? <laughs> Agnes is a conversation. Yeah, she's like, they are ugly. You do not want a Tesla. <laughs> that's rad they have their opinions i mean they're raised by a really cool dad Uh um he lives on the other side the Terravel side sloat side of sunset so they have those surf breaks in that beach oh okay and then i'm raised over here yeah they have a really social life they've been raised at a coffee bar right a bunch of skater kids and surfers they don't um i have most of my employees that don't talk baby to them Uh uh-huh you know what i mean yeah it's kind of yeah like they're on the level yeah i mean they're not growing up too fast but they're not like being annoying and being like, they're joining a conversation. I remember when they were younger and interrupting all the time. And I was like, hey, why don't you listen to the conversation that we're already having and see if you can join? See what research you can do at another time or whatever about what we're talking about and join the conversation. So they pay more attention. They're a part of it. Uh You know, they're about to go to middle school. Damn. My boy's ready to get out of his school. Uh Uh-huh. It's just not his cup of tea. Right. Let's take a quick time out 
and hear from some of our friends, and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Talking Schmidt? I want to do a shout out to some to four fellow listeners to the show. Uh, some new, some old. Uh, every Tuesday, on most of them, just ready to go. Uh, first one would be John Purvis, and he's lost his uh, eyesight, a little bit of his, or some of his eyesight, but it hasn't stopped him from skateboarding. And some of his motivation comes from Visalia, Fresno, and you lokes down there, Alan, Karma, Jesse. Uh, all you guys, he named them all off. He wants you guys to start a, another company together. That's what he says. Uh, I also want to shout out Command Sergeant Major Anthony Gregerson. Hope I said that right too, sir. Uh, he wants to shout out the home of the 82nd Airborne. He is very proud of everything you guys have accomplished. Uh, Backside Smith Fakey, a.k.a. Chris Tavares out of the East Bay. Same kind of mojo. Just loves the scene. Always been there. Shouts out Phil and that kind of posse. He must have seen it go down. The way he talks, he knows. Uh, one more out of, out of Vegas. This one goes to Wine Out of Raisins, a.k.a. Vino, a.k.a. Old Dirty from the East Vegas. Yo, you guys gave me some initial love, and I really appreciate it. Shout out to all you guys everywhere. I love you and Talking Schmidt. When you were back east, you, you went to Skatopia? I've been to Skatopia. Um, it was dangerous. Yeah. So my sister mostly went. They had derby cars and catching cars on fire. And, right. Um, I was super young. Bruce, all those guys, Every you know, everybody was a big part. Ohio was a big scene because... There's Akron, Ohio. Um, uh, did you guys know? Jay, do you know Jay Croft? Yeah, I don't know. I know who he is. Yeah, he was a big part of the Akron. He was a, an amazing, amazing person. Uh-huh. A big part of the Akron scene. And then Cle- Cleveland, it just kind of all, everybody goes to all the towns. And so everybody would show up at Skatetopia and there'd be Camp Cleveland. It's you know, insane. Right? I've never been there, but I've obviously it's seen video safest. and photo. <laughs> yeah. And then my sister, when she got older and got married, they live out in the like the country on the east side of um, Cleveland, kind of in Amish country. Oh, okay. And they have a bunch of land and a big skate ramp. It was called the Steel Maple. So they used to have every big, huge parties there, and derby oh. cars and everything. So that became kind of another scene. Right. That was fun. Yeah, it's everybody's got their scenes, and what you learn when you get older and look back is like it's kind of a lot of similarities. Like, well, it was cool coming out to San Francisco because it kind of reminded me of the same scene of Cleveland. Uh-huh. Everybody was tight knit, right, and just raging. Example: the guy catching on fire. God bless him. I hope he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who he was, but those were the types of parties and skate shows and punk rock shows you had in Cleveland. So when I came here, and I came here for a couple different reasons. I came here also for, I booked bands for so long. So I came out here for kind of the experimental scene that was going on out here. Uh There was a great scene in the early 2000s out here with John Dwyer from now the OCs had a bunch of different bands. Everybody had these great bands and a lot of them lived in Petro Hill and the mission. So I came out here hearing about it when I was in Brooklyn, but coming out here and, you know, meeting 
everybody it was kind of the same tight-knit cleveland crew and everybody was just funny as fuck here just so fucking funny and i've stayed this long 16 years yeah it feels like i was born and raised here I know people don't like people to say that that are transplants, but at least my <laughs> kids are born and raised there. For me, it's the best. I was born in Redwood City, which is like 20 minutes south. So I've been here my whole life, pretty much in this area. And like the fact that you can go to the ocean or the snow within two, three hours, either way, you got Yosemite. Like there's so much. You have nature, you have big city, you have everything. And the, the music scene's still pretty good i don't it know was, it that well anymore yeah me too but i, I will have that to on say the age. chapel yeah. the mission i would say that's one of the best book clubs they're really great people yeah everybody wants to play there i just saw Chappelle there it was amazing yeah i, I heard like, whoa this they, is they get everybody at uh-huh. the chapel i got really into the chapel when tommy guerrero played with the matson too a lot and i would right. start going there uh-huh. and then i just found out that the owner's just amazing the guy that books it everybody who works there is amazing so everybody wants to play there uh-huh. they could play you know there's a bunch of bands that play sold out shows let's say the fillmore or whatever but they'll do a series at the chapel three days in a row instead of playing one big sold out show and it's a perfect size it's so perfect i don't like too much bigger like <laughs> fillmore's fine because you can like navigate and it's so historic but like the once it gets that big it's like fuck it just gets... i wish patty smith would not play the fillmore and go to the chapel three oh, days yeah on. wouldn't that be rad <sighs> okay we got to talk coffee oh coffee so you, you and co- toast and toast <laughs> so yeah so you came to san francisco and but you left san francisco and then came back i right? did i forgot about that non-linear what happened i left chicago and went to San Francisco. That's what happened. I left Chicago, went to San Francisco, then went to South Carolina. There was some sort of break. And I just fucking fell apart here. You know, it was the dot com. There oh. were a bunch of Chicago kids and Cleveland skater kids that were living in the TL. So I stayed with them. And I was like, what the fuck is my life <laughs> turning into? <laughs> you know, and it was the dot com. So it was not, you know, easy. Right. I mean, kids who are moving here in the past how many years since you know tech it was the same for us because you know minimum wage was so low jobs were so low yeah um so i fell apart here and that's actually actually now that i'm thinking about it that's when i did that walk that was the first time i went From there and 24 so when to I, check, uh-huh. yeah thanks i'm then i returned years and years later after south carolina and georgia and brooklyn and went back to china beach and the same people were there those old men that's when they started saying see you tomorrow I remember Glenn, the older man, goes, why did it take you so long to come back? We said, see you tomorrow. And I think I came back like five years, six years later Whoa. from that walk. And he remembered. Yeah. Incredible. And then I just started swimming. I don't think I could have done anything. I definitely couldn't have opened up Trouble Coffee if I wasn't an ocean swimmer. Huh. And if I didn't work at Farley's. When you came back, you started working at Farley's? I started working at Tartine, the very early oh. days of Tartine. But coming from New York and being a Cleveland kid and you know how I run trouble, it's just like super fast. Yeah. What are you having? What are you having? That yeah. was not a Tartine thing. Right. It was like, what are you having today? And like talk to everyone for like an hour. So I ended up finding out about Farley's going up to Petro Hill from the Bayview crew that I knew uh-huh. from people from Butchertown. And it was just a perfect fit. Was you know, good. they had one size. Yeah. One milk. You know, it was perfect. You could be like, what do you want? Right. Great community. 
I've never. I met everyone there. That's Jake's favorite. That's he, where I met Jake. He would and go Tommy there every morning. And Jim, everybody. And so then you got the like kind of like the bug or something like I can do this. I could do my own version. Yeah. Well, I've been working in coffee shops since I was like seventeen. Right. And now I'm forty, and I started making blends um in new york and in brooklyn and just like changing up the coffee and like oh let's mix these beans together and it wasn't third wave then i figured out how to make cold press coffee in new york i was like oh let's try this uh-huh. and i was really good at making blends and then when i got to farley's i teamed up with um milton who was he's from el salvador and he roasts their coffee and i teamed up and started learning more how to roast coffee and then i came up with a bunch of blends and trouble was me on my bike selling my blends to mechanics carpenters like the whole working class and to scuderia and all these motorcycles at zeitgeist everywhere no way and who the biggest sellers were elbow grease which is my drip coffee now and the hammer which is my espresso so when i found those blends and i was a terrible employee <laughs> I was the shittiest employee. And um, Roger was like, I think you can, at Farley's, you know, Roger owned it forever. He was like, I think you can do it on your own and boss people around wow. instead, of <laughs> instead of being the employee. Yeah. And he was super supportive and I didn't know what to do. I didn't have, I mean, I didn't have any money. And this is like, what year? 2007. Seven, okay. So the Sunset had nothing going on. It had like a video store. But Mollusk was already here okay, on Irving. So I started brewing coffee on Saturday or Sunday mornings at Mollusk. And, and seeing you, you if were living out it. here then? I was living in uh, Illinois Marin, those warehouses. Oh. With a dear friend of mine. And what drew you out here though? The ocean. Oh. The fog. And then you kind of saw that like this could be a place it where out. it could grow or something. Well, I mean, I was going to open up a coffee shop no matter what. I named it. The day I named it, Trouble, and made a little logo with my friend, I knew it was going to be real. That's what I always tell people who want advice. So I'm thinking about, I was like, do you have a name? Well, not yet. And I was like, then it's not real. Uh-huh. You have to name it. Right. So the name was way before. Actually. The name was way before. Wow. And where did that come from? I was going to dedicate a place to people who helped me when I was in trouble. It's not my fucking nickname. I mean, it is now to everybody, Uh but I dedicated everything and I started collecting things from people who would put their, anybody who would help me. Right. Different places that gave me like security. Like I always went to Creativity Explored, you know, on 16th, the art studio and gallery for like special needs, blind people, deaf people, and they make like the craziest art. And I would always go there and check it out and volunteer. And so I collected stuff from there and from friends and anybody who helped me. And I thought I would open up a place and display it all. And that's what's in all my boxes. Whatever they call those shadow boxes. Yeah. Um, Wow. And then I decided to thank everybody that way. So that's why I named it that. I also knew nobody was going to name their coffee shop that. Yeah. Like it would be known. I didn't want to open up just a little coffee shop in the sunset. I wanted to open up a coffee company in San Francisco. I didn't want to just be a mom and pop's place. I wanted to be known so it would be a destination. And one of the other things I liked about coming out here was it was a place to go to. And I thought about that. Like you all stay in your little neighborhoods. Like some Petrero Hill people never leave. Right. And the minute I opened up Trouble, people were coming out there. 
making beach adventures and coming out there. Nobody was out there. And it was sketch. Was the market there? The corner market? Yeah, it was owned by someone else. And it was just, they were selling drugs. Okay. It was gnarly. Wow. Did you get an investor? Like, how did you get the spot? It was cheaper than a room for rent. Oh. So I moved in. I was lucky. It was like work live. For a long time. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I washed my clothes in the mop sink bucket and slowly built it it's but was rebuilt three times because i had no money i just had like a table uh-huh i had that chair you're sitting on with my rotary phone that was like my little phone because i didn't have a cell phone i complained about life all the time at china beach so those old men mostly glenn and one day they were like you have to do something you have nothing to lose why don't you go open up your own coffee shop because i've been talking about it and i just everybody has money yeah they have more money than me blah 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 and they were like oh my god just go down to city hall and see what it takes and there it was like before 2007 you weren't googling everything and getting pdfs offline so there was a little booklet that said how to open up a small business and i just followed the instructions whoa and i did it i just got very algebraic mind Got a daily planner, which I still look at, that says things like find a shower, call Toad. He was my, oh, <laughs> call Toad. Right. He was Toad my did electrician. The electrical. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I'm pretty sure I paid him all of his money. <laughs> I don't remember. I was like totally going to get to it. He was just starting to surf. Uh huh. I think you were the first uh, coffee shop that he did. And mm-hmm. that kind of opened up like since then he's done like a bunch of different things. He went into coffee shops big time. Yeah. And then helped out Outer Lands Toad's and everything. Toad's got a coffee for life from like eight different places. Yep. <laughs> Toad's the best. Blood wizard. Yeah, he's great. And he was totally there. I was also lucky the Sunset District had so many craftsmen. Right. Or plumbers and electricians. Right. And I'm very into networking and making friends. And I'm like, can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? Uh-huh. And I slowly did, slowly built that place. And I made $70 a day for I don't know how long. I remember only having a uh, college fridge. And it fit everything. The toast, the coconuts, the milk for a week. And the rent was like, what was the rent? I think it was like five twenty-five a month. Oh, Fuck, those were the good days. In 2007, <laughs> rent was like, it wasn't going to be a place you were also going to open up a coffee shop. Right. It was like living with a bunch of people with a chore wheel. Uh-huh. I couldn't live with people. They all had these co-op meetings and chore wheels and passive aggressiveness. And I was like, dude. So was that at the same time that you kind of got things together, like as far mm. as like getting sober and like no. kind of, no, you you were Years still. Years later. Oh, no, I was a mess. St- in Bad. That, and you were still like getting this thing going though. I never knew any different. I mean, I started hearing things and echoes and seeing things differently. I didn't see people's jaw lines at all. And I would hear them talk. And like ever since I was 15 years old, it would echo like a telephone. Uh-huh. You know, when you have a messed up um, reception or something. And I always push forward. And I did it with drinking and drugs. Just kind of kept me going. It was like medicine. That's what you I, know, yeah. it was medicine. And I'm very grateful for the alcohol and opiates because it got me up. So my doctors say to me now, thank God you found them. Your uh-huh. liver's fine somehow. But thank God because it got me up because when you're in a psychotic episode, you don't really see schizophrenic people walking around and having conversations. You're dead to the world. Mm-hmm. And that's how I was in episodes if I didn't drink. Like it 
gave me that boost. Opiates, instead of zoning me out, would give me like, I'm going to go on a 100-mile bike ride. <laughs> wow. Yeah. If I snort Coke, I'll probably fall asleep. Oh, so but kind of I have the opposite. Opposite reactions. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Like, don't give me NyQuil. I'll be up all day. Oh, <laughs> damn. But no, I was not sober. I was living on the ground. My coconuts, I had whiskey in. Everything was too loud. Sometimes a steam wand, too loud. Some days were okay. Some days weren't. Some days I couldn't even open the door. How did you deal with like live? You said you were doing music and stuff. Wasn't live shows super crazy then? If you no, because the, I found silence and sound. That's what I always called it. Oh. And I did a lot of free jazz music and noise music. That's what I moved on to. Okay. I didn't like continue doing like thrash hardcore. I mean, that's when I was really young and you have so much energy. You never have to sleep. Your hangover is like, you didn't have to drink in the morning. You know, you yeah. weren't like that bad off. You were just raging. Right. When I got older, I started getting into more obscure stuff and it calmed me. Okay. I would find silence and pure noise. Oh. So that helped me a lot. And that's another reason why Trouble is so known for its music. Like I worked yesterday for our, I don't know how many kids are hurt at Trouble right now. And I just played Moondog and Sun Ra. And it just got really weird from the early, late 50s to the 60s. And people were like, what is this? And I just like zone out to it and feel it. And I can work forever and I can deal with people. Because sometimes I wake up and I'm not doing okay. So I have my tools and music has always been a tool for me. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Music is a tool for a lot of people. My son's starting to get into music and I see the calmness it gives them. Like you should never take away kids' music. No. Ever. And if you're depressed, music can help you so much too. Or it I can remember making you- mixtapes for hours. Yeah. I still have them. They're actually behind you. My mixtape collection. <laughs> and like staying focused on something that you're into, right? Like it's like if you're not feeling all right, like oh, I'm going to dive into this love that I have. And pretty soon a couple hours go by and all you've thought about was that music instead of like the trouble in your mind or whatever. Uh, Yeah. Pauses. Tools are important. And it sucks that when you're young, you're kind of oblivious to that and you just freak out. And then you get older and you kind of get more wisdom and then you start realizing like, oh, coping strategies for this equals that or whatever. You'll do anything to survive if you want to live. I always wanted to live. I did. I always wanted to stay alive. And I would do anything to make it day by day. So when Trouble was open, I was 26, mm-hmm. maybe 27. And I didn't sober up until I was 34. Oh. And I didn't get medicated until I was 33. So from freshman year to 33. So my brain has been did the medication kind of help you sober up or did you hit a rock bottom or did something snap that you were like stopped working alcohol and drugs stopped working it wasn't like a medicine I could use and yeah I hit rock bottom I mean I had kids right sometimes I couldn't wake up and get them yeah that's I was co-parenting pretty much from the beginning right I wasn't okay and my mom was constantly coming out to help me like when I was trying to detox and you know, my parents were getting older and look at me and I had trouble and I was super successful. I mean, I had health insurance when I finally went and got help. The community really came together and finally told me I wasn't okay. Oh. I kind of didn't know because with schizoaffective disorder, you have bipolar disorder with schizophrenia. So I was manic all the time. So I thought I was on top of my game. <laughs> I had my shit together, right. you know? Oh, shit. 
how long did you have the, when did you get the second trouble? Bayview opened up when trouble got really, this is kind of, I don't own any of them anymore besides the original, but Bayview pretty much saved my life. Oh. Um, it's when I got sober. Um, Bayview was my closest friend's warehouse space, Dan Greenberg from Conceptual Metalworks. And he built the shop in there, all that custom steel. And he built Oakland. Uh-huh. Um, life was not good. And trouble became that the podcast came out from This American Life. Uh-huh. And we blew up. Oh, I mean, blew up. And I started not doing well. Too many people knew me that I didn't know. Uh. And everybody thought, I found the cure to mental illness. Oh, my daughter, you're so inspirational, which is fine now, but I wasn't, I just got out of the hospital. Okay. Like, yeah, you didn't my medicine wasn't, my medicine wasn't working. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Like, you have side effects, you have to get used to stuff, you change things. So strangers would come up to you and want to talk to you about All it. All the time, and there was like this line out the door, and it happened like that. Damn. Like, we were just a local spot and destination spot which is what i talk about a lot like people were so grateful there was someone to ride their bike to or take a long train ride or yeah get out of their neighborhood but all of a sudden it was like tourists and people wanting me to take photos and sign oh. things because it was about you know it was like an i don't know if it was an american dream i never actually heard the podcast oh <laughs> i never listened to it okay i read it it didn't i fell apart damn and so i decided to open up bayview also Trouble opening it up was all cash. So I had no credit. Whoa. I had nothing. So if I had to buy a new espresso machine, I didn't exist in the money world. So I took out my first small business loan to get myself to be able to take out loans if I needed them. And I opened up a little hole in the wall right by Thrasher, you know, yeah. right there. All my friends were there because I, I lived I in Butchertown and Bay- it's the best coffee shop in the world. Yeah. It had like a little record player. I mm-hmm. was like, I always was stoked on that because like that record player is ha- upstairs. I've had that since eighth grade. Yeah, they would have like one or two records, like kind of like when you go in somewhere, it's like sitting up in the window, like we're playing this right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. It was also a lot. Not one shitty customer came through there. Mm. Everybody was there that I've known since the day I got a job at Farley's. It was amazing. What's the dynamic between you and hiring the employees? Like it seems like people stick around and work like they're happy like i kind of poach them you know i find them skating or eating sitting somewhere and everybody's eating a shit ton of burritos um a lot of people want to work at trouble because of the crew so we just started hiring we have a new crew right now we have the same people taylor who's working there now has been there almost seven years julia has been with me over 10 years but everybody was there for like six years in a row during the time i opened up bavia okay they all just kind of held it down i find people it's kind of like somebody called it my an orphanage like you find people who need i don't know if it's a mom but i'm not the easiest boss i'm Uh very strict but i give a lot of freedom if you take full responsibility for your job okay i have a lot of friends and connections and i make it fun and i know a lot about music and i'm really educate people about music and get them into different things introduce everybody to everybody and it's like a it's their home and right now our crew is a lot of them are from socal coming out here to skate ah they're all coming out here it's like a rebirth i hired them all all the friends oh a lot of the crew i'll hire all the roommates oh so i take them everybody's friends already i take them all right Okay, that makes sense. 
So that NPR thing, I did listen to it, and it was talking a lot about the toast, which we mm -hmm. haven't really talked about. Basically, it sounded like they went to the mill and discovered that there was this toast thing that all the hipsters were finding out about and like, oh my God, I'm going to do a piece about this. But this isn't where it originated. It originated at this small coffee place out by the ocean, which is trouble. And so you were like kind of the one that, it's I don't know if they stole now. it or whatever, but I mean, it's it just became bread. trendy. It became a thing. I mean, you make a good living off of it, you but, know, which is great that everybody, I don't know, the toast thing kind of blew up. The man who wrote the article, which is a Pacific Standard article, which is how Ira Glass found out and wanted me on the podcast, he couldn't find me at the beach because I was hiding in the Bayview. Oh. So he found me there. Oh. And I told him the whole story and I was kind of like, what the fuck is everybody doing toast? And I think it's because I'm so emotionally attached to the toast because it's my mom. It was safety. I had nothing for so long and I missed my mom. Did your mom introduce you like, to toast. To toast. When we were little kids, I mean, everybody our age and above used to have a little cinnamon shaker yeah. mix. And that's what you would have. And you would have it in the morning or in the middle of the night uh -huh. or when you were sad. My mom would just make toast on Wonder Bread. Right. It's perfect. It was the right thing to do. Also, I was fucking broke. I couldn't get a muffin. If you don't sell that muffin, yeah, it's done. You buy it for a buck 25 and you try to sell it for three bucks and you lose both. So toast, you cut seven slices. Sometimes I would only sell six slices a day. And I wrapped the bread, put it in the fridge. Sustainable. I couldn't spend any money. And it gave comfort. I remember my mom coming out and it was all foggy and I was living in the Bayview and it was beautiful. And we drove out or took the train, something and it was miserable out here. It was disgustingly foggy. It was miserable. And my mom's like, that people are going to be so upset at you when they meet you. And like, you're not selling large coffee, large lattes, and there's no bagels. She was like, you better do toast because nobody's mad at cinnamon toast. Because I was doing coconuts in the fog. <laughs> and I was playing loud music. And I was like, I'm not going to serve you that. It was like this little, what people call the coffee Nazi. You know, I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> but with toast, people come in, I want a bagel. You're not going to make it without a bagel. I was like, I have cinnamon toast and it's thick. And it's the blend, like the recipe is kind of like an English muffin, Wonder Bread churro. Yeah, it's delicious. Everybody likes all of those. Right. It's like my coffee blends are like nutty chocolate caramel. Nobody's bummed about that chocolate bar. So I made it simple. Right. So nobody had to like train their palates with my coffee. Nobody was like, oh, that was an okay piece of toast. No, it's fucking good. The end. When you guys were in Bayview, like skaters from out of town always came to Thrasher and they'd be like, what's that place with the toast up the street? Like we got to go there. It was like. That was a great shop. Great what, community. What's the other one? It's like the, it's not the fuck you, but it's like every, it's like a kamikaze toast. The it's, holy shit toast. Holy shit. Yeah. I don't know. We have a specific <laughs> customer that comes every day to get that. I'm like, what the fuck? It has everything on it. Yeah. It, what is it? Like peanut butter? No. It's the butter, which is insane amount of butter that we put on it. Even vegans want <laughs> toast. Okay. <laughs> I do have earth balance. I was like, just eat it. Yeah. Cinnamon sugar. So butter, cinnamon sugar, peanut butter. No, it goes butter. Peanut butter, bananas, then cinnamon sugar. I mean, you can hardly eat it. 
<laughs> oh, and then honey on top of the cinnamon turtle. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Holy shit. It's a, it's a pain name. in the ass to make. Like oh, when people really? order it, I'm just like, fuck, you're like a mess. <laughs> you're like, what the fuck? I always say when somebody orders it that I retired from that and I get another employee to jump up and make it. Oh, I was really? like, I'm so over making that okay. fucking toast. I'm going to go order it's an, one It's this. an epic one. And then the Oakland one opened up after that? Oakland was the third one. And I've been in Oakland... West Oakland on and off. And I found this fucking corner building. They were putting up the for rent sign and it was dirt cheap. Right. Dirt cheap. So I grabbed it and I built it out. It took me a fucking year to build that place out. Oh. Like it was a living hell. Uh -huh. I've never had a problem building things out. San Francisco was easy. Oakland destroyed me. Oh, okay. Like just their permit, everything that, that, that happened, it took forever. And I opened up and it was an amazing community. Like we had a huge like skate competition there. We did lots of shows. You know, we did Jake's birthday. Yeah. That was amazing with bad shit. It was just an amazing time. That was it's a right good community. It was a like Bayview energy. Yeah. That but was a completely awesome. different design. How did that come about? Did Jake hit you up or something? Yeah, actually it was it was so surreal. Because it's kind of close to the neighborhood where his warehouse used to be, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh It's right by Max. And yeah, yeah. And Preston had died like right before that. And it was Jake's birthday and he's like, We're playing at trouble in Oakland. Huh? So he always made fun of Oakland because it was big and all white and he thought it was pretentious and I'm a sellout and he would always do that thing and I'd be like I would always say, Jake, I love you. <laughs> I love you, Jake. Thanks for loving it. And you know, and he'd be like, Fuck you. One day he walked in, which he always walks in, he wants his cappuccino, like uh -huh. instantly, and he rags on me, and I always stabbed him back, you know. <laughs> he came in, and he was like, hey, I got a question, and he actually, like, got serious and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing my birthday party here. And I was like, don't you hate this place, even though you're here every shift I have? Yeah. And he goes, well, I want to do a show, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds really good in there because of the high ceilings. And I did plexiglass windows. Uh. And you could pack so many people in there. And I was like, oh, cool. And I was like, why? Like, why here, dude? Like, you literally always make fun of me. Uh. And he goes, because I still have good hair and I'm alive. <laughs> and he goes, and I can't believe you still are. Wow. And he goes, so I want to do it here. And I looked at him and I was like, that's amazing. Let's do it. And then we had like... Preston died right before and he didn't want it to be his birthday party anymore. Right. He didn't want to talk about his birthday. He wanted it all to be about him. What a day. That was, <laughs> that was an insane party. Yeah. I remember somehow he had Preston's t-shirt that Preston wore all the time and he put it like over the uh, amplifier and... I walked in and he grabbed this shirt and he threw it at me and he was like, hold on to this. And I was just like, ah, <laughs> like, yeah, I didn't know what to do. I was like, fuck. But yeah, I got video of that whole thing. And, and that was a, that was a really good day. It was actually like super positive and it was so positive. Yeah. Pretty cool. I remember all the fire, the pyrotechnic stuff going up and I kept looking at my sprinklers up top. Oh, like the, if, they and then I was, off. no, I was looking at Max Schaff and he's looking at me and I'm looking at Tommy and I'm looking at everybody like, when should I go up to him and ask? <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, hey, just so you know, what kind of timing is it before those go off? And he was like, no, I got it. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> pro. <laughs> 
Oh man. Um, so the American life, that NPR, that kind of, you think what blew up mm -hmm. everything. Did you have animosity towards any of the other coffee places? That of were, course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that's shitty, but I'm not in, I was never in competition with any of them. You know, all the third wave people were kind of close by. Uh -huh. You know, there's a blue bottle and there's a ritual. I love Eileen from Ritual. Um, and then there's, you know, Jeremy left Ritual and opened up Four Barrel. And ver all this stuff is going on and it's just coffee, coffee, coffee. Phil's. Which one's great and which... Remember, Phil's was the corner store yeah. when I lived on 24th. Yeah. Yeah, I used to just now like, he's dude. in Encinitas. Like you went to see selling toast. <laughs> yeah. Is he? Yeah, oh, I brought that up to Phil years ago. I was like, "You're selling toast." He was like, "Great idea." It was a great idea. <laughs> Jake, I love him. Jake bought Phil's car, crashed it the next day. That's yeah. epic. But Phil's a rad dude, man. He blew it up. Oh, he went up to me one time, and I was like, "Hey, I heard uh, Snoop Dogg bought into Phil's. I don't know if that's true." but I'm pretty sure he became an investor. I may be totally wrong. Oh, yeah. And so I go, man, Phil, that's awesome. Tupac bought into trouble. And he goes, good. I'm happy people. <laughs> I was like, that was rad. Oh, people man. were doing their thing. And I was way out here. I had my cred. Then when Toast came, it was like, it was like kind of stepping on my feelings for my mom and feeling safe. And having something that's just mine. Right. Like it was just like my little thing that I did. But people are going to do that. And everybody was like, oh, you should take it as a, what do people say? A compliment? Yeah. It was a it's little hard for me. I mean, it's not flattery. like I'm mad at the mill. But um, my toast is better. The end. <laughs> well, and to give them credit, they did attribute you. They, mm -hmm. they weren't like, it was like, we didn't invent this. Well, Josie. The baker is amazing. Uh -huh. He's a great guy. He used to sell his bread like cooperatively at Gravel and Gold, this little shop in the mission. Mm. And we were always close and they interviewed him. Mm. If it went to interviewing somebody else, maybe not. Could have been different. Josie was like, no, I didn't come up with it. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy. Like I travel around. I mean, I was in Brooklyn. I'll go back to Cleveland. I'll go to Chicago, whatever. And people know me from mm. the toast. Wow. They're like, oh, you're the one who started the toast. We have toast at our coffee shop. So now I'm like, that's rad. That's rad. But I guess now that I'm turning 40, I'm kind of sick of being the toast chick. Uh. And I'm making more art. I'm going to do a show up at Trouble. I just hung all that stuff up um, and focus on some other stuff. And I'm really, really, really grateful I make a living off of doing something I love. Right. That's so simple. In 200 square feet. Bayview was only 110 square feet. It was a small feet. one. Yeah. And it was, it was all on wheels, but it ended up, I thought I was going to do events and only be open there like a couple days a week, but it built a really strong community. So I just locked it in there. And Oakland is closing down because of the, the warehouses. It closed down pretty much both for the same reason that the clientele got pushed out. That's what happened in Bayview. Real estate people came in first and started taking up some space or building condos and pushing people out. A lot of those places that they pushed out aren't even rented to oh. anyone. They're just sitting there because they thought maybe the neighborhood was going to be more up and coming quicker, Bayview and West Oakland. Um, marijuana growers kind of pushed everybody out. Like, and that was my clientele. And then they pushed me out because mm -hmm. I was in that space and they priced me out 
And I fought and fought and fought until they told me they were going to take me to a jury to kick me out. Whoa. And they found like my past and blah, blah, blah about me. And it was not my original landlord. My landlord got bought out. My landlord that gave me that lease, it's amazing. It was the new landlords that wanted me out because I was spending like $1,100 a month for like 1,400 square feet. Right. Of course you want me out. Yeah, I just went through that too. I was paying 1300 rent in a building that every other unit was 3600 So I was like, I'm a target here. Yeah, I yeah. was a target. And when they wanted to take me to a jury, because I had a law thing with them for three years. I had a bunch of friends come together to put the money uh, down for the lawyer because it happened so quick that they wanted me out. And I loved that space. I still love it. Right. But... They got me out. I was like, okay, am I really going to go to a jury looking like this? A place called Trouble. They found a couple loopholes in my lease. I've like yelled at the landlord a lot. Uh, they got a private investigator against me. They Jesus. recorded when I was yelling at them. And I'm not like the calmest person. Right. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? You know? Yeah. So they got me as like irate and unstable. And they found out I had schizophrenia. And they were going to use it all. And I just, I folded. I took a buyout. They didn't like make me leave completely empty handed. I mean, they're happy they didn't have to go to a jury as well. Right. But I took it as I'm ready to raise my kids and stay at the beach. Yeah. Because I didn't always see my kids. I was back and forth. I mean, I was lucky enough that I always rode my bike. So it was a fun commute and I would see everybody. I mean, I would see Jake skating in the city on my commute early in the morning. Oh, you would take your bike and take Bart over? Mm -hmm. uh, I would ride to the mission. Yeah. Driving across the bridge sucks. And I have the O.J. Simpson Bronco, so like guzzle up the gas. <laughs> <laughs> so like once a week when I would have to stock the place, I'd take the Bronco over and it would destroy my life, that drive. Remember that drive was nothing before? Yeah. If you You'd be like, I want to go into the city. Hey, I was thinking about going to the Stork Club. People are having shows and you were there like in 22 minutes yeah. from the sunset. That commute destroyed me. Yeah, it's hard. The bike ride was epic though. Uh-huh. You know, I'd go through the park, I'd do the wiggle, I bumped into so many people that everybody says everybody left SF. But when you're on your bike, people are still here. You know, you're just like, what's up, what's up, what's up? Right. And then getting off at West Oakland, I had a community there. And then I would roam around Oakland, I would ride my bike and take the BART out to San Leandro where we roast the coffee. So I had like a destination myself. Mm. And now I'm like back at home. So do you have more time for art and different mm -hmm. stuff? Is that good? It's awesome. I mean, it's been a little bit weird. My dad came to visit. He's like, oh, you need to find a place to go to. You need to get out of the neighborhood sometimes. Because <laughs> uh, it's like I'm the mayor. Uh, Monday through Thursday, this neighborhood is like so epic. It's just all locals. You know, it's just Nick and the kids and everybody's kids and Outerlands. Is qui everything's quiet. Yeah. It's like a little beach town. Uh-huh. My friend just started working from home one day a week and he was like, oh my God, I'm usually only here on the weekends. This is like the best hood ever. Right. You know, everybody's at the beach for the sunset. Everybody's roaming around. So I'm happy to be back during the week. And I have tons of time. Yeah, my kids are going to go to middle school. I have tons of time now. Oh, right. It's hard when you open up too many shops because you get managers and you micromanage your managers. Now I'm the manager and I work it. So I'm the employee. I scrubbed all the mats last night. I worked. Oh. 
I make toast. I make coffee. I scrub the mats. I'm a worker. I've always have been at Bayview in Oakland, but I'm back here. And so instead of me being like, you guys aren't doing this, 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 and this, I just lead by example. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to do this. Make sure you do this next time. Uh I'm coming in tomorrow, so don't worry about this. Do you need coffee to start your day? Uh uh-uh. Like you're, you're pretty, you got a lot of energy. Yep. So you don't really need to drink it? I drink green tea. Oh. That sounds funny, huh? I'm like the dealer who won't get into her stash. I drink coffee when I have to taste the espresso (laughs) because espresso changes throughout like the day. Oh. And so if their shots don't look right, like this morning, I was like, let me taste that. Uh-huh. Let me dial it in. Like you oh. change the grind, you change the amount. Oh, you can visually see. Mm-hmm. Oh. But I get too high off coffee. Sometimes I do too. <laughs> but if I don't drink it, I'm just like, I'm dead. Like in the morning, I just, I need. I like, like coffee in the afternoon. Yeah. I like like an afternoon cup of coffee to get through the rest of the day. But in the morning, I stay home. I don't go to trouble right away. I wake up super early. Uh, I just got a puppy named Pig. Oh. Um, I hang out and, um, I have green tea. Okay. And I just do my thing and celery juice. My dog chilling on the porch. I have an ocean view. I can see Bellinas all the way to Noriega and the Fairlawns. I live on the top floor here. Nice. So I'm just kind of more chill now. Uh I used to drink a crap load of coffee when I owned three coffee shops. Right. And then you just start going crazy. Like sometimes I drink so much coffee that I can't even think straight. Like I'm just like, I don't. I watch people come in. We have a drink called the Matador. Uh-huh. I don't even know if it's on the menu. But it's drip coffee, three shots of espresso, and steamed latte milk. And people will buy that. Come back the next day and get it. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I didn't come up with that drink. <laughs> Somebody else did when I was like in Bayview hiding. Uh-huh. But it's a fucked up drink. Or our, our cold brew iced coffee. People get a large, 20 ounces of it. I can't drink more than a whiskey glass. Oh, really? I'm like, you people, how do you handle this? You just build up a tolerance, I guess. It's like drinking anything. It's interesting because I've been tripping on, like, I've been sober for like four years now and uh, going to the bar at night all the time. And then it turned into going to the bar in the morning for coffee. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like. People always asked me if I was going to do alcohol you know, why don't you do alcohol? You make more money. And I'm like, because this is a sober bar. Yeah. Like people come here for sobriety. And Roger, that's how it was at Farley's. I don't like to mix it. I don't like to go to places that have it mixed. No. You know? I think it's like the first thing that I thought of when it's like, okay, I'm going to go meet somebody or, or go on a date or, or do something, right? Interact. But I'm not drinking alcohol mm-hmm. anymore. Because it used to be, let's go to the bar for a drink. What is it now? It's like, want to get a coffee yeah and like your days start earlier and they end earlier now mm-hmm. like before it was like i'd get up at noon and stay up till four in the morning god remember those days <laughs> yeah. so the other thing that's pretty great about trouble i mean i opened the year before the crash the economic oh. crash right uh-huh. and people were failing left and right and i have my degree in demographics so i went to school with numbers okay. statistics demographics is where you study kind of the future population studies migration so i studied migration and population studies so i knew the neighborhood was going to turn we studied about when an economic crash would happen so i kind of knew it was happening anywhere between when i opened for the next four years i studied how many people 
bought houses here the years they were bought and I knew who was going to pass away uh-huh. and what houses were going to be sold. I would watch how many Vanigans were in the neighborhood. Whoa. I would watch the surfers. I would read Craigslist. And when I opened, I decided I only sell tiny lattes, eight ounces, but they have three shots of espresso. I won't sell anything big. And I decided to make it the most expensive coffee in the city. I went above blue bottles prices. So people were mad, <laughs> but it wasn't the crash yet. So when the crash happened, everybody raised their prices throughout the city, but I stayed. So there was the stability that they were like, oh, she didn't do it. They weren't judging that I had high prices already. So I built this um, safety. Like, I'm not going to do that to you. And then the coffee shop grew so much during that time because people can still afford to go out and get a cup of coffee. They're not going to give up in a crash their community and yeah. going out on a date. Yeah. So coffee doesn't fail during that time. Right. So you make it through. It was a, it's a safe career. If anybody else wants to do it, if you really know what you're doing, you're going to make it. Maybe a big dinner, a fancy dinner is not going to anymore. Uh-uh. But a cup of coffee is. Yeah. So I'm happy I um, studied demographics and did my research and went for it that way. I do miss seeing everybody like in the thrasher world and the deluxe world from now being all the way out here right but it's really nice because now that's a destination to come here now yeah because i work a lot here i have a lot of shifts uh-huh so that that feels great mostly since so many so many skaters like max and Alyssa and everybody are surfing yeah, everybody julian's surfing out now. here yeah it's crazy that's awesome yeah you're just like wow i feel like Back in the day, but now you guys are in the water. So uh, much calmer too. Everybody's so much calmer yeah. when they get out of the water. I wanted you to uh, think of a song for sure that to end on this. Maybe something that represents trouble or or just a cool song that you like. Wow, a song. I guess I would say I'm just kind of thinking because all my mixtapes are right behind you from like fifth grade. <laughs> that um, still to this day, PIL is my favorite band good old public image limited and i guess ending on music maybe i don't have a song but when i remodeled trouble just a little while ago i just started doing it repainting it and putting up stuff i did a record collection in the back where i copied you know the covers uh-huh. and then i modge podge them up oh yeah there and it's my favorite records from 1988 to 1997 Wow. And I did a collage, which is really rad to do that because so many people, we stand at the bar there. And so they could see all the records. And it's pretty awesome how many people connect to something when they had it that you would never think, listen to the cramps. Right. Or black, never. You can't, and putting that up made me realize you can't judge anyone. Exactly. Like people are like, oh my God, my dad was in the dicks. And he's just like this kid that's been texting the whole time or like on Facebook. And you're like, your dad was in the dicks? Holy shit. And I'm just so happy I put that up. Mm-hmm. I'm just so fucking happy I put that up. Just like old dudes telling you stories from LA. Oh, I came from the LA punk scene and they're just like a doctor now and hanging out or an architect and like the best stories ever. So I recommend if you come to trouble to go to the end of the bar. Yes. You got a song? The Live in Tokyo tape is my favorite. Look at I still say tape because I have them all on tape. Oh, cool. And I would say when I was a kid, because it calmed me. I was listening to the Sex Pistols and the Clash, but it wasn't until I found PIL that I found No Wave. That's the type of music it is. Uh-huh. And it kind of calmed my mind. And so I would say when I was a kid, this is not a love song live 
was just epic. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking the time. I hope I didn't take too much of your time. It was awesome connecting and uh our schedules have been crazy and we've been trying to get together sooner and I'm glad we finally got to. Yeah, I'm stoked, of course. I mean I gotta go across the street and make toast right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cheers. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.